Hello everyone. So today we've got a very exciting episode with someone from America. So yeah, not Europe, but we thought it would be very interesting to be able to compare financial dependence in the States compared to Europe because we know the mindset is quite different and also there's different tax laws and a lot of different things to take into account when reaching FI in each continent. So we thought it was very interesting to talk about that. And we called up Eric from the Mastermind Within and he was uh, very happy to tell us his side of the story. We also talk a lot about house hacking and how it's maybe easier in the US and how he managed to practically live for free um, in Minnesota. Before going on though, uh, I'd love if you could write us a iTunes or favorite podcast app review. This supports us and helps us to create more episodes. Thank you very much. So sit down, relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, due arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar Erminta Matias. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am William Shakespeare, and I think you shall listen to the Financial Independent Podcast Europe. Goodbye. So welcome everybody. Welcome to the another episode of the Financial Independence Podcast. Um, today we've got Eric with us from uh, the Mastermind Within, and actually our first American guest. Um, and we're really, really uh, pumped and looking forward to get chatting with Eric because uh, we've had so many cool interviews so far, but never an American before, and never, um, yeah, like had a chance to have such a discussion as we're gonna have today because we're gonna dive into some pretty cool topics. But before we go over that, I first I would like to introduce everybody I've got with me. So. To get started, uh, my co-host Araminta. Hello. And our amazing guest for today, Eric. Hello. Cool guys, amazing to have you with me today. Uh, I actually would like to get started kind of like um, with Eric. Could you give us like a rough breakdown of who you are, where you're from, how you get like in touch with uh, Fire Financial Independence? And yeah, how was your day? I'm 26. I live in Minnesota, which is in the middle of the United States. Right now, I work at a bank as a statistician and do a lot of programming work for them. And then uh, I do a lot of different side hustles. So I have a blog, podcast, I'm working on a subscription box, I do some consulting. So I'm, I stay busy on the side. And really, for me, the financial freedom, financial independence thought happened in college when I was working for my dad's company. And I was just thinking about like, what do I want my life to look like? And seeing him being at 40, 50 years old, having his own companies, providing income and providing wealth so that my mom could stay at home if she so chose. And, and that was the decision that she was at home raising the kids. Having that same thought being like, well, I want my family to be financially secure so that I can choose to work or I can choose not to work or my wife can choose to work or choose not to work. And so it's, it's it, right now for me, I'm just trying to build up my wealth so that when I do have a family someday, that it can be relatively stress-free in terms of the money side of things. Nice. So it's um, it's a lot around family and you know minimizing stress, which is totally understandable. And what we're what we're really interested in here um, at Fi Europe is um, really comparing the states to Europe uh, in terms of financial independence. Uh, and we're probably going to start really with with the mindset because I, I really discovered financial independence through the states. Um, I was working uh, with a podcast and I learned a lot and it was really interesting. But then I felt this like lack 
uh, of information in Europe because everything was like 401k, Roth IRA, I don't know, a ton of stuff that us Europeans are like, I don't know what that is. And we don't need it either. So um, so then I turned to Europe and I saw that, um, yeah, there was also this movement, but it's just slightly different because obviously Europe is, is, has different laws and different, like even a different mindset. So it'd be interesting to see what, what you think personally from your um, side what are the differences really between the States and Europe in terms of mindset when talking about financial independence? One of the main things when I go to different events or conferences or meetups is the escape from, from menial work that might be long hours. So like a 40 to 60 hour work week that you're not doing important work. And then there's also kind of the freedom aspect of things where a lot of people in the United States, they'll take on debt early on, either through college or just by consuming more than they make, getting into credit card debt, taking on too big of a house in terms of a mortgage, and all of a sudden you're just trapped by the banks being that you have a ton of these debt payments, or even just a, a, a want to travel or a want to do things that pay less. And so there's a lot of different things there where there's a lot more things you can do in terms of what we can do in America with different freedoms we have. But then at the same time, there's capitalism and there's a a ton of different factors that are trapping people at the same time where you can easily restrict your lifestyle by making certain negative choices in terms of a mortgage or in terms of different purchases and so that that's kind of interesting. I think the really the fire movement over here is is to gain back that freedom and to live a life that's more fulfilling. And so the so the overarching idea makes sense in terms of we want more freedom, we want to do what we want, we want to lead fulfilling lives, do fulfilling work. But then when you go in a little bit deeper there, it seems that there's a little bit different because health insurance is really expensive here. College is really expensive here. Uh, the government benefits aren't as great. But then at the same time, there is a little bit more flexibility in creating wealth with a business or with, with investments. We don't have wealth tax, which that scares me a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, there's... It's it's a little bit different there. What do you what do you think about those thoughts? Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. So it's easier, I guess, to get into debt. It's easier to make the wrong choices, it seems. But once you are conscious of that, then you can change that over and you know fix it up. And this goes on to my next question, which was which would be like, do you think it's easier to reach financial independence in the U.S. than in Europe? Because Although, yes, you know, people are more in debt and stuff is more expensive, healthcare is more expensive, there is, you know, you can generate more wealth. Uh, so comparing a bit the two, do you think if you are able to make the right choices and you live in the U.S., is it easier to reach uh, FI? I'm someone who tries to live with an abundance mindset, so I'm going to answer yes to that, where I think that if... If you do make the right decisions, you can do whatever you want. And one of my main mantras is that simple daily disciplines will lead up to massive success. And so making those small decisions in the day, those will add up. It's it's the same concept as compounding. And a great example there that I love talking about is 
over the next five years, there's 43,800 hours. Can you reach your goal in 100 hours? So in the next five years, I think you can find that time out of that 43,000 hours. But so, so that's like my, my mindset behind answering this question. But yeah, there are a lot of options. And then also just thinking on the face of things where, where you were talking about some of the different taxes that go into investments and, and some of the um, taxes even on entrepreneurial income that over in the U.S., we can do a lot of different things. We can try things. And then there's also access to uh, a bigger capital markets where you know you can get funded, you can get loans from banks, you can do a lot of different things entrepreneurially or just on your own too, just getting into different jobs, getting into a bigger company, working your way up. There's a lot of different ways to increase your income so that you can increase your savings and then build wealth over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I was just thinking right now as you were saying this, that um, entrepreneurship is not something that is as glorified here in Europe. I find uh, in in the US, entrepreneurship is a positive word. It's good. It's great to be an entrepreneur. And and it's true that in Europe now, it's it's a cool thing. But in some areas, in some parts, um, people will be like, why are you trying to do this by yourself? Like, you know, you want to work in a team. I don't know, sometimes I get this feeling that um, people are not are not glorifying entrepreneurship as much as in um, as in the US. I don't know, it's a feel. I don't know if, Alvar, do you feel this sometimes? It depends. Like, I do feel that there is a lot of support for entrepreneurs around Europe, but it's just less focused on, like, growth, volume, making insane profits, new technologies, innovation. Um, it's just a lot and a lot of, like, small SME, like, small, medium enterprises around Europe. There's, it's just less of a, a thing and a less of a need here. And, like, based on what we said earlier, I actually wanted to make... Uh, two comments um, like to get started with like kind of like how the government deals with it because it's for me it kind of feels like in Europe the government like kind of approach or the government's approach it kind of like all right hey people are not able to make choices themselves we need to protect them so we'll make all the choices for them and all the money they normally would have gotten or employers kind of allocate towards retirement so we will lock that up to avoid them making any stupid mistakes and well hey you know if that's done then we know for sure they have money when they retire and we'll leave it at that and at the same time like in the US that doesn't really uh, it applies less and you've got way more freedom to make your own choices and for individuals who are well confident in their own investment choices or starting businesses and like personally I think I can I mean I'm not an expert investor in any way but I know my own situation better and if I would have all the money to myself available that I could in a lot of cases make better choices than the government can make for me uh, and yeah that restriction I mean that's something I like that's a really noticeable difference and another one I kind of wanted to throw out is like um, like you made a comment about like having credit cards and capital and loans available that's also kind of a thing is like just simply having the stock options available and the ETFs in like a lot of European countries, we can't invest in the exact same things or in the Vanguard funds with the extremely low costs as you've got around. Yeah, like in the US, like out of the UK for myself personally, I actually have, I mean, I can have direct access to Vanguard, but in Germany, Netherlands, France, that's just way more limited and we're like kind of forced to move to like, you know, higher cost ETFs and that, uh, yeah, that, that makes it a lot tougher. And I mean, uh, throw an extra 30% dividend tax capital gains on it. <laughs> and uh, we got a kind of a rough break down. Like, um, 
What do you think about it, Eric? Like, if you hit the whole description, does it frighten you? Yeah, but I'm someone who naturally likes smaller institutions, so that's so the the thought process behind it, I think, is also a little different there. But yeah, like that sounds when you describe it as the government thinks that they know better. That just scares me in general because I'm someone who maybe this is me not being humble, but I think that I'm smarter than the average person. So it's like, well. Maybe I'm not, but at the same time, do I want someone to force me to do something or to have different laws that might not make sense to me? It's it's a little scary. But yeah, it's also if you look at it from another point of view, maybe someone who isn't uh, fully educated or actually needs help. This is also a great system for them in Europe because free healthcare gives a lot of you know opportunities to people. Um, so there's both sides of it, and it's very interesting to um, debate which one is you know more important and obviously us we in the in the fire community were educated and we know that maybe we'd prefer to keep all this money to ourselves because we can manage it better but then if you look at other people who maybe haven't had the same opportunities as us then it's you also have to think so it's, it's yeah it's just interesting but uh we kind of wanted to move on to the next topic which is house hacking so you're obviously very into that and uh you have quite an interesting story to tell us about that um could you tell us a bit how uh how you got started in house hacking how you did that yeah for sure and then also it'd be interesting to hear about real estate in europe i'm not sure if you've covered that on the podcast yet but it is house hacking could that be a, a viable strategy for financial independence or, or increasing um the path or i don't know i don't know what the question is okay anyways <laughs> but i'll get into my story here uh yeah so i started house hacking what happened was i was living with some college friends we were living in a duplex near the university and we were looking to rent over in this a little bit nicer area of town and we were sitting on the couch we were really finding any apartments or houses that we could rent and then i was just like well let me see what i can buy And so I went down I I got a mortgage approval and then within the week I had then seen a couple houses and ended up putting an offer in on a house that was three bedrooms and then then I would have three roommates and myself where I would live in master room and then the other three roommates would pay me rent and the the whole thought around house hacking is that you want your rent to come close or to exceed the mortgage payment and my roommates at the beginning they were paying me 1650 and the mortgage was about $1800 and so i was essentially living i my rent payment quote on quote was $150 but then when you consider the equity build and any appreciation then i was able to to come out ahead on a monthly basis and so that was really good in the first year I was able to pay off my student loan and my auto loan and then now over the last 3 years I've made over $40,000 in uh just through house hacking and that's helped me invest in different taxable accounts and tax deferred accounts and has really set me up for success now in my late 20s and so that's that's definitely been a really great thing for me to do and that's just I think a function of of that there's so many different housing options in the United States here but also just thinking a little bit more in general about how you can increase the difference between your income and your expenses that house hacking allows you to really 
widen that gap. Because when you want to reduce your expenses, you want to look at those big three, your housing, your transportation costs, and your food costs. And if you can reduce your housing expense, then you can do a ton of different things. There's a ton of, di- t- ton of flexibility in your budget and in your investment strategy in terms of contributions that you can start to play around with, with, with that extra money. Because like I said, now that now it's, it's been four years right now, I'm, I'm in between roommates and right now I'm paying that full $1,800, which that's a lot of money. And even though I, I can afford it with my salary, that's still a lot of money where I would much rather be paying you know, hundred dollars with the house hack. That's uh, that's interesting. House hacking is definitely not impossible in Europe uh, and in places like London, where students are surviving on a tiny budget and super high pricing. People are forced to do these kind of things, and and it's really cool that you're able to do this at such a young age. What I would love to do is get into like the numbers, if that's okay with you. Um, where you did you have like I know there's a credit score in the US, same in the UK. Did you have a really high credit score? How did you get this mortgage in the first place? Because I would love to do what you did, but my credit score is literally like depressing because I just got started, right? So how did you set yourself up to get a mortgage and buy this uh, buy this house? I didn't have my first credit card until I was 22, I think. No, I was 21. No. Actually, no, I was, yeah, I didn't have my first credit card until I was 22. So I did not have that much of a credit history. I did have a credit card and then a student loan that I was paying off during the, that year. So I was, I was in a master's program. And when I was 22, then I, for the second year, I ended up taking on a student loan. And so that's kind of when the, that is when the credit score, the credit history started was when I was 22. And so I only had nine months of credit experience. But then when I was in the master's program, I ended up getting a job. My salary was $63,000. And then at the same time in 2015, that was when interest rates in the US were pretty low. And so combining a number of different things with the salary, with the interest rates being low, and then with, there was a lot of luck involved here, but those three factors led to me being able to get in the house thinking about it today in terms of like the US markets it'd be a little bit tougher for someone coming out of school because also you have to consider some of those um, debt payments because yeah like my student loan it wasn't massive it was it was $15,000 which is not enormous amount and so with combining the income combining the interest rate that i had which was i think 4 and a half percent or something like that the banks would allow me to to get a little bit higher of an amount versus if I was to go now or if I had a lower income. That's really cool. And I just wanted to, <laughs> there's something that I, that I also love about uh, Americans is that there there's no shame in saying numbers. Like in Europe, everyone's, there's much more of, uh, no one says how much they earn. No one says, no one likes to mention numbers. And I, in the US, every, everyone's quite open about it. Don't you think, Alvar? Do you see that sometimes? Yeah, honestly, that's true. I've met quite a few Americans over the last uh, year, just, you know, traveling around out of the, like the financial independence movement. And honestly, we, like most people from also here in Europe, from financial independence movement, have no problem sharing salaries and numbers and things. But generally speaking, it's just not a topic we talk that much about. It's like, oh, you know, within families, people kind of know it, but I'm really good friends, but that's it. It's like, you know, like 
if you go to like uh, websites like Glassdoor with all the websites or like salary reviews and uh, numbers around that like if you go to the US locations of companies, the amount of actual numbers given is way and way higher. I like openness, so that's definitely something that's uh, better done um, in the US. And Eric, but I also kind of like to ask just to uh, go back a little bit to the housing part, like in terms of like down payment, because like say for example, I would like to do the same in um, in Europe. Well, first I would never get a sixty-three thousand starting salary like US. If I'm lucky, st- starting as a graduate, maybe forty, forty-five. Are you joking? Like twenty. 30, 25. Nah, but talking US dollar, not pounds. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, but, but like, that would be like the best I could get. And down payments in general are higher and like legal fees on top of that, obviously, as well. Like uh, like in terms of like down payment, what's like the percentage that's normal in the US? Uh, so I put down two and a half percent what? at the end, like with, with everything considered. <laughs> I think that the US is in store for a, a change of the environment because the way that society in terms of the economy is set up is just this massive debt fueled bubble like just everything's in a bubble when you when i when i as a 23 year old or a 22 year old is able to put down two and a half percent on a house <laughs> that, that's not right and so yeah. now i'm up to about 20 percent. and i'm someone who mm. reads about stuff i research stuff i get i understood the risk i could have certainly been wiped out like I had $1,000 in my bank account after I closed on the house. I could have easily been wiped out. And I understand that. And that's a risk that I was willing to take. But not everyone is knowledgeable. Not everyone understands that if they put down 5% and the housing, the you know, the values turn, that they could get stuck with that house or have to short sale or have to do a number of other things and then take that loss. But then just in general, yeah, like housing prices, they just keep going up because I think that if the debt doesn't keep going up as well, then there's going to be a massive crash. And, and I, think that, I think that it will come at some point because also we can't not consider the use of energy in this. Really, debt requires cheap energy. If we want to keep increasing debt exponentially in terms of you know, the bigger economy, well, you're going to need a ton of energy. And that comes from cheap oil, that comes from sustainable energy sources, which aren't as built up as many people would like them to be or that they could be. And so there's just a lot of factors there. But yeah, like in, like I can go to the bank and I can get a loan for 3.5% down. That's not the recommended. Banks would prefer me to have 20%, but I can. First-time buyers can get a FHA loan, it's called, for three and a half percent. And then there are additional interest and additional insurance things that go into that so that the bank can get compensated. But that's still just bizarre. Yeah, even back in like 2005 to 2010, when the housing crisis happened, uh, banks were even going down to zero percent at some point, which is just absolutely absurd. And what's stopping someone to buy like 10 properties at 3%, you know, if I have $20,000, I mean, that's doable. Yeah, there there are income requirements a lot of the time. Oh, yeah, okay. And, mm-hmm. and so most banks will say that they won't lend someone with a debt coverage of over 40% or 50%, some, somewhere in that range. And so like on that 63000 salary that I had, dividing that by 12, that's about $5,000. And so mm-hmm. then... 5,000 times 40%, 
that's about $2,000. And so then, then depending on the interest rate, if $2,000 is the affordability on a monthly basis, then depending on the interest rate, that'll tie into some sort of property value number. There's a couple other things, but yeah, like people in the 2000s, there were people who were who were going to these mortgage companies that didn't have as strict requirements Crazy. and they got two or three houses, which is absurd. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, that's crazy. the uh, really an interesting opinion there. Or maybe that's a fact. I don't know. <laughs> also, what you mentioned earlier, like, could we also do this in Europe? And that's also kind of like the thing. Um, yes, it can be done in Europe. I mean, we can also totally like rent an apartment or buy an apartment uh, with three, four bedrooms, rent the other ones out. But the thing is, we're going to have to pay taxes over the rental income. And um, that's kind of like the thing here. In most countries, you get like the first six, seven K or so is tax free, but then they'll start taxing you at like 20, 25% over the rental income. And then it suddenly becomes a whole less um, yeah, attractive. So like one lodger or one roommate like yeah, works, but like if you go yeah, scale it up, go to like, you know, three, four, five roommate levels. Yeah, it just kind of like only works as a cooperation. That's also like kind of a difference in Europe. I know people will do it, but it's, It's harder, and I would love to do it in the future, actually. It's, it's, it sometimes just sounds too good to be true, honestly. It's crazy. I mean, just yesterday I was in the south of Spain uh, exploring properties, and um, and these guys, they buy pro- their corporations, so it's easier, and they're buying uh, properties in, in Valencia in the south of Spain. And um, so you're, you're taxed on, well, you have to pay huge bills, like for, you know, who's going to sign the papers. You have to pay tax on what you're going to buy. You have to pay tax on capital gains, so when you're going to sell. You have to pay tax on your rental income. So literally, it's everywhere. And uh, in some, and in the UK, uh, they just recently, well, 2014, 2015, they put in an extra 3% stamp duty. Like it's getting like every year there's more going on. So it's it's pretty it's pretty intense. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see. Just to uh, wrap this comparison a bit up, like Eric, when you like hear this all and all those differences and weird things in Europe going on, would you ever want to move over and well, retire or work in Europe? I think that it'd be really interesting. I've never traveled to Europe, so I can't make a definitive choice on that yet. A lot of the things are really interesting. There are definitely some advantages with different uh, different costs being cheaper. But that wealth tax, that kind of scares me. So, so there, there's some interesting things that are a little bit worrying to me. So I, I And then also I haven't traveled there. So I think I, I'll have to do some more research. Gotcha. Well, if you ever are around the UK or Europe, give a yell. We'll grab a beer together. Sounds good. I'll enjoy that. <laughs> anyway, to uh, slowly wrap it up now, um, well, we've got our final questions uh, for you. And just to kind of like get started, Eric, um, like where can people find you online in terms of uh, blog, podcast, Twitter, everything, handles? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. This was a lot of fun to, to chat and learn more about what's going on across the pond. <laughs> My podcast, I, I run this with a, another 26-year-old in the United States. It's called The Simple-Minded Millennial. That's on iTunes and Stitcher. We talk about personal development, personal finance, not necessarily financial independence, but more on how can we increase our income? How can we think differently to become a little bit better every day. And I really like doing that one. And then my blog is themastermindwithin.com. And that one is similar where it's about personal finance, personal development. But there I talk more about different strategies that I'm trying to use to increase my income and become better. So they kind of tie together, but 
different audiences. So those are the two two things I'm doing with with personal finance. And then with Twitter handle, it's Mastermind Withy at at Mastermind Withy. So there's no N. What is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? Uh, whatever personal development, uh, finance, whatever you want. The Slight Edge is my favorite book. It's all about kind of the, the thing I mentioned earlier with that small daily disciplines will lead to massive success over time. And it's, it's, again, it's the thought of compounding, but that works in every single area of life. It's not just you put money in the bank and the bank pays you X percent and over, you know, over, and then it will double depending on the rule of 72. Like, well, yeah, we get it in personal finance, but that's the same thought in exercise, in growing your career, in learning that if I exercise every day and if I eat well every day, then over time I will be healthy. That's, you know, that that's compounding. All of a sudden I'll become stronger. I'll become I'll become able to run more. I'll be able to do different things with my body. And it's the ex- exact same thought. Or if I want to learn a new skill, if I spend a little bit every day, then I'll get there. And that book, The Slight Edge, is a is a simple book to read where it's it just talks about that, that mindset of, of just doing a little bit every day instead of, okay, well, I don't have time today. I don't have time time tomorrow, but I'll spend a couple hours on Saturday. Well, that couple hours doesn't happen usually on Saturday. But if you break it down into maybe 15-minute chunks every day or 30-minute chunks every day, you can definitely hit that that goal. So I, I love that. I love that book in terms of personal development. Nice. Going to add it to my list. And pretty much all the final question of today then. Uh, yeah, just for our listeners, what is the number one actionable tip you could give to somebody to get started with financial independence or who's already on the path? And like, what's the one thing you're like, do this, learn this. It's like the best possible thing you can kind of like execute uh, and you'll gain the most benefit out of this. If you are not tracking your income and expenses, then that is a must. What gets measured gets managed is my one of my favorite quotes. But if if you don't know what your difference between the income and expenses, and you don't know where your money's going, then good luck. It's like it's like trying to travel without a map. Where if you don't know where your money's going, then how can you make changes, or how can you how can you decide? what the best strategy is going to be. If you're trying to save up for a house and you don't know how much you're saving on a monthly basis, well, then when are you going to get there? You have no idea. And so that that's the number one tip that I always tell people. But even taking a step back from that, it's also just understanding what your goals are. What do you want to be doing? What makes you happiest? Some of those questions can lead into um, some interesting answers. And then and, and then you get to the tracking. So I guess I should have started off with, with the why. But but yeah, once you're in it, once you know that you want to build wealth, then definitely the tracking piece is something that I recommend and I do and I've seen great success from. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Um, and yeah, good luck with uh, the new podcast. And uh, yeah, hope to see you eventually in, I don't know, like FinCon or if you ever come to Europe. That'd be and, awesome. Yeah, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. 
Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books, and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.